now I think what keeps me going is the enjoyment of watching others have that same experience for the first time. Um, I enjoy kind of sharing the knowledge and teaching folks a lot of stuff that took me, you know, a decade to learn. And then just being out in nature and, and then just experiencing it. Welcome to Experiences You Should Have, your how-to guide for amazing experiences. I'm your host, Gail Manasco, and today uh, we are giving you a little bit of a different episode. Um, I recorded this episode initially with uh, Ron Murray from the Aurora Chasers. Uh, He and his wife, Marquetta, offer Aurora Borealis tours in Fairbanks, Alaska. And we we did this recording when we were all in Hawaii together um, earlier this year before COVID hit. And then right when I was going to release this episode, they were unable to do their tour. So it just felt odd to be releasing an episode about the Aurora Borealis and going to experience these tours in Alaska when we were all sheltering in place. And so since then, um, I followed up with Ron and we were chatting about what he's been doing since then. Um, He hasn't been able to go to Alaska and he's gotten really creative with his business. And and so today's interview is really checking up on on Ron and the Aurora Chasers, what's going on with the business, what they've done to pivot, and and also how can we support them? Right now the travel industry is really struggling. Many people out there are struggling, but he's come up with some unique ways to pivot his business. And yes, one day uh, he will be offering uh, Aurora Borealis Northern Light Tours in Alaska, Fairbanks specifically. But right now, that's not happening. We still talk about those tours. If you are planning a bucket list trip uh, to go photograph the Northern Lights um, one day, uh, we do talk about that here in this episode we also talk about uh, photography and and tips and, and what you can be doing from home right now and maybe how you could experience your war borealis virtually this fall. So enjoy this episode as we are navigating these weird times in this new COVID universe. Well, welcome, Ron, back to the podcast. This is uh, attempt number two. (laughs) Thanks, Gail. Good to be back. Yeah. So for our listeners, I was in Hawaii in January, and we were recording this episode for experiencing the Aurora Borealis uh, in a van at our friend's wedding. And it was hot in that van. Do you remember that? I, I do. It was warm. <laughs> <laughs> and it was all about how you can experience the Aurora Borealis in Alaska. But then there's this little thing called COVID-19 that hit. Yes. Yes. It hit. And then we end up putting a pause on putting this episode out because you're not in Alaska right now, right? 
I am not. I'm in Hawaii and I should be headed off to Alaska here in about a week, but that's not going to happen. Yeah. So, and and we're still going to talk about experience the Aurora in Alaska and when to go and where to go and that sort of thing. But I just, I want to hear from you how COVID-19 has affected your business, the Aurora Chasers, and then also explain what you do for the Aurora Chasers. Yeah, so I'll start off with what we do, and then I'll kind of delve into <laughs> how this all impacted it. Um, what we do is we, we up in Fairbanks, Alaska, we take folks out and we teach them how to photograph the Northern Lights. We get them to the best location to do that. And then we kind of hold their hand through the whole process, make sure that they're getting good photos of them uh, of their own, and make sure they go home with a portrait of themselves in front of the Aurora. Um, Obviously, the peak seasons for that are winter months in Alaska, which is why I spend summers here in Hawaii and then go back there for the the winter times, at least the fall and the spring ends of winter. Uh, And then in the middle of March, uh, I think it was around March 10th, all of a sudden we started losing clients. Everybody was canceling on us. And I kind of, I'll be honest, I was kind of aware of this COVID thing, but I was in the middle of my busy work schedule and I wasn't really paying attention to news or anything else unless it was Aurora related. I wasn't focused on it until I started losing all of my clients. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So what ends up being typically the busiest month of our year, uh, which is March, by March 18th, we had no clients for the rest of the season. Um, and then that's continued on. We were hoping that uh, fall was going to turn around and we were going to have, uh, you know, things kind of fixed. But here we are <laughs> again uh, with no clients for the fall. So looks wow. like we're, we're now hoping for spring of next year. Wow. Um, my gosh, I am so sorry. I, I know the travel industry as a whole has really suffered during these times. Yeah. And this is really bringing it home. And this is a big part of your income, if I'm not correct, right? Just up until this point, this was our income. <laughs> I'm, learning, I'm learning to diversify. <laughs> okay, okay. That's good. That's good you're diversifying. I'm just curious, what are you doing to diversify now? So one of the things I, I did uh, when we got back from that spring season, um, I, I kind of took, you know, a week or two to, to mope around and feel sorry for myself. Mm-hmm. And then I realized, uh, I have to do something. I, I'm, I, I wasn't content to just sit and lock down and do nothing. And so I started thinking about what I had to offer, uh, that could bring some positivity to people who were also stuck. You know, we were all in lockdown at that time. And so I looked around and I went, well, I've got all this photo gear and lighting equipment. And, you know, I didn't have the audio equipment, but I learned to, to put that together. And I started doing online live stream workshops for folks who were stuck at home, maybe with their kids so that they could learn some at home photography projects. Uh, and I really enjoyed it. And that kind of turned into <laughs> what I'm doing now. So between that, I'm building out an actual, uh, uh, Aurora photography course, which people will be able to purchase down the road. And then I've got years and years of Aurora footage that I had captured that I'd never had time to do with. And so that's been a project over the summer as well as starting to uh, compile that into a really nice artistic uh, kind of film of the Aurora. 
And so that should hopefully be done uh, sometime mid-September as well. So if people want to maybe get on a newsletter or a waiting list or contact you about how to see this film, what's the best way for them to do so? So honestly, right now, my main channel, I'm a little bit old school. (laughs) My main channel is still through our Facebook page. So I I usually put out most of my alerts there, either that or I've been working a lot more on my YouTube channel. So folks wanted to go uh, check out some of those past workshops we've done. I do cut those down into a nice, clean, condensed version and then publish them to YouTube once uh, once the workshop's done live on Facebook. But I usually run the, the live streams on Facebook and then cut them down, put them on YouTube. Um, so and they could go Facebook, there. Your go Facebook ahead. page meaning the Aurora Chasers? Yes. Yep. Facebook.com slash the Aurora Chasers. And right. YouTube is YouTube.com slash the Aurora Chasers as well. Just want to clarify if people are there by their phones and they're searching that they can come find you. That's that's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So a documentary on the Aurora, this could be kind of like a virtual travel experience, something that people can share with their kids or. Yeah. So uh, a few, I think we talked about this in the, in the last time we tried to do this, but uh, about 2014, the end of 2014, uh, Sony came out with a camera that kind of changed my world. And there's, there's a lot of news around that right now because they've come out with the uh, successor to that camera. So I'm, I'm excited. I wish I was going to Alaska because uh, technology has advanced quite a bit. But uh, in 2014, I was able to start filming the Aurora in real time for the first time ever. Before that, you had to do it in time lapse because sensitivity to low light wasn't good enough for, you know, 24 frames a second or faster. Um, but I'd shot a lot of that for years and years and years. And I've put some of it out over the years. But until recently, I had never looked at like most of it. I had hundreds of hours of footage kind of sitting on a hard drive. And so this summer, one of my projects was to go through all of that and find the good clips and then render it out. And uh, now it's ready to go. I just have to compile it into kind of a nice, like I said, artistic film that will, yeah, essentially give folks that virtual experience of what it's like being out there uh, since we're all stuck not traveling. Right, right. Now, there, you mentioned the uh, photography workshops. Um, If people wanted to sign up uh, for a photography workshop, really, what are they going to learn from that? So what, what my goal is, is basically to take the workshop portion of our tours, um, which is a part of it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then either through Zoom, like we're doing here, I will have a very small group, or if somebody wants to do a private uh, workshop, we can do that as well. I've done a couple of those in the past, um, where I'll walk them through their specific camera settings. Uh, if it's more of a group, we'll kind of go through the general settings. But basically, by the time they're done, let's say maybe they do have a way of traveling or a means of traveling to go see the Aurora. Uh, maybe they're in Canada, but they can go up to the northern part of Canada. Um, my goal there is to give them the skills necessary that if they want to stay away from people and they want to do it on their own, they have the training for the photography part to go do that. Mm-hmm. And the best way to contact you for the photography workshops? That would be right through the contact form on our website, which is uh, theaurorachasers.com. 
Now, what's the average cost for a photography workshop with you? So the, the tours themselves are different now that we're doing this online stuff. If it's a group workshop, it would be $75. And if it's a private workshop, it would be 150 if it's just a one-on-one. And how long is the workshop? Uh, depends on, you know, skill levels and all that. Um, sometimes I have folks who are very quick and they're easy and they don't need a lot of stuff. They just need some basic tips. Uh, folks who have never touched a camera, uh, we might take a little bit longer, but we, we kind of typically around half an hour to an hour, uh, is what it takes to go through that. Now, what kind of camera are you using to photograph and film the Aurora? (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) I am not a brand loyalist, but uh, most of my work these days is done with Sony cameras, Sony Alpha system. Um, I have shot Nikon. I've shot Canon for years. Uh, That's what I started out with. Um, And so I've used almost everything. If whatever the best tool for the job is at the moment, that's what I typically gravitate towards. I, uh, I don't have any brand loyalty. So if the Aurora was above you right now, what camera, make a model are you, are you grabbing? So ironically, it would be the same one I'm filming myself with at the moment, which is the Sony a7 III. Um, if I'm going to film in real time, as soon as the a7S III hits my hands, <laughs> that will be the camera. It's on pre-order and I'm waiting for that one to arrive, but it won't be here till the end of September. Okay. And for our listeners out there who might want to purchase this camera, how much would that camera cost roughly? Uh, the a7 III is, I believe, just under 2000 It's actually, for what it is, it's a pretty reasonably priced camera. If you're looking at uh, equivalents right now, they're somewhere around the $3,000 mark. So, Um, Sony is very competitive on their prices. They're trying to gain market share and, and, and really compete with Canon and Nikon. And so you can get great deals on their cameras. Uh, and for me, like I said, it's the best tool for the job at the moment. Um, but any of the cameras like Canon just came out with a a couple of new cameras, the R6 and the R5, both would be amazing, uh, Aurora cameras. And then Sony's mirrorless, as well as their D850, uh, would be great for Aurora. Great. Now, I know there's people at home who are like, okay, I don't live near the Aurora. I can't capture it right now. Love the idea of a documentary, but I want to go see the Aurora one day when the world <laughs> when we can travel again when, when we can travel again and and maybe they've put this on like their bucket list trips for in three years you know maybe this is a three-year out or a two-year out maybe it's next spring I don't know what that is but they've decided okay I want to experience the aurora and I want to take pictures of the aurora maybe I don't want to spend the money on a camera um, so let's, let's first break it down for those people of when is the best time to see the Aurora, where, to, where are you guys based out of in Alaska? Um, and maybe the potential cost of those tours, maybe for a private tour. Yeah, so that's a that's a great question. Let me start off with where we're at and how you get there. So we're we're based out of Fairbanks, Alaska, 
Um, international airport, very easy to get to. Alaska Airlines flies in there daily several times a day uh, through Seattle. So, you know, in normal times. So not difficult to get there at all. There's plenty of accommodations, um, plenty to do. Uh, timing is going to be dependent on what your particular style or desires are. We have two main seasons that are good, the fall and the spring. Uh, and that's because the equinox tends to be the strongest aurora. And it just has to do with the way that the earth is oriented magnetically to the sun. Mm -hmm. um, so around the equinox, both fall, September and October, and then spring, February, March into early April are great times to see the aurora. Fall is going to give you a little bit different experience than spring. Fall, especially if you come in the early part of the, the fall, say late August into mid-September, uh, a lot of the tourist attractions are still typically open, like Denali National Park, two hours south of us, um, the gold mining stuff. All of the kind of normal summer Alaska attractions are, are an option at that time. And it's much warmer. So folks can, you know, get that kind of uh, maybe shorts and flip-flops. Or if you're traveling from, you know, a warmer climate, maybe it's a light jacket instead of a great big parka and covering your face with a balaclava, right? <laughs> um, so it's a different experience. Plus, we have open water. The lakes aren't frozen yet, so we can kind of shoot reflections and things like that. Uh, makes a, a unique experience. But if you want that true Alaska winter frozen trees, dog mushing, you know, ice park kind of stuff, that's February and March. Um, so much colder, mm -hmm. um, but it tends to be a lot clearer skies in the spring. And so a lot of folks, that's our busiest season because reliability of clear skies uh, combined with the peak times for the Aurora and lots of cool winter activities to do uh, sends a lot of folks our way. Yeah. So if you were coming then, uh, either of those seasons, and you didn't have a camera and you wanted to take photos or you wanted to experience this, but you didn't necessarily want to invest in the gear, we do offer a full lineup of rental equipment that folks can rent at really reasonable prices, including the camera I'm shooting with now. So. Fantastic. So if people aren't ready to throw down 2K on a camera, they could come rent one of your cameras when we're in a a new world. Uh, yes. Now, <laughs> what are the travel restrictions to Alaska right now? So right now, and obviously we're monitoring this daily because it changes. And I was kind of hoping that as we got closer, things would be uh, easier. But uh, the the situation is very similar to Hawaii. It's a 14-day mandatory quarantine. Mm -hmm. uh, you can bypass that 14-day quarantine if you are able to get a test within 72 hours of your departure time and it comes back negative. The issue that folks are having right now is that in many locations there's such a backlog that there's no practical way to get a test and get results back 72 hours prior to your departure, right? A lot of places mm -hmm. are as much as 10 days out on the test results. So um, we've had a lot of folks who just flat out have said, look, I can't come right now. Um, and so we've extended a credit to them so that they can come at a future time when this is all hopefully back to some semblance of normalcy. <laughs> mm -hmm. mm -mm -mm. Now, if people are truly committed, I mean, they could take a month yeah. to go to Alaska, experience Alaska, maybe rent a house for a month, quarantine for those 14 days and then go out. But would you be there? Because we just don't have the client base, um, we will not be. 
Um, I, like I said, I've had to diversify income. So I'm working on several projects here in Hawaii, (laughs) going back to my roots and I'm getting back into commercial photography, which is kind of how I started. Um, so doing real estate and headshots and products and things like that. Um, so I'm working on building a second business here to try to just keep things afloat until, uh, we get back to this normal, we can do tours thing again. Okay. All right. I'm glad to hear that you are going after different ideas. You're pivoting your business right now. My gosh, it's just, it's just been the weirdest year. Um, really weird, but I want to support you and I want my listeners to support you. Uh, your, your business has been greatly affected and you can't be in Alaska right now. And I hope you listeners out there book a tour with Ron in the future and maybe think about taking a photography course uh, and do a virtual photography course and also check out your documentary in the future. How much will your documentary cost uh, to watch it? I have not worked out the pricing on that entirely yet, but I, I'm going to say it's somewhere between $25 and $30 and it will be downloadable. So it won't be you just watch it and then you're done with it, like renting it. You'll be able to purchase it, download it to your computer and watch it anytime you want from there on. Great. Well, I will be out on the lookout for that and we will be promoting it on our social media channels and we'll include information for that in the show notes when the documentary is out. Uh, now, for those who might be lucky and maybe live in an area where it is the aurora above them, um, do you have any just some practical tips for them for maybe trying to see the aurora or apps to see where the dark sky is? Um, or where they were might be happening, or just even some basic tips for for trying to shoot it with what they've got? Yeah, so um, let's start with how to see it. If you're in an area that is uh, prone to aurora activity, um, obviously right now, uh, there's still a little bit too much daylight in most northern latitudes where the aurora is visible. So we're kind of waiting until about mid-August, late August until you can start to see it. But uh, by the time folks are listening to this, it's probably going to be uh, within that time frame, I would assume. Uh, and so if they wanted to see it, there's a couple of options. A, you need to get out away from light pollution. So, you know, if you're if you're renting a car, make sure that you're within your uh, limitations of the rental because if you're in Alaska for example no gravel roads there's there's a lot of restrictions but there's still plenty of places you can go um, let's say you are in Fairbanks Alaska if you visit our website there is an FAQ section and towards the bottom of that there's an entire list with Google map pins of places that people can go on their own uh, if you're not in Fairbanks Alaska get yourself out of the light pollution get yourself somewhere where there's nice clear dark skies and then visit our webcam page, which is also on the website. And there's a forecast near the bottom of that, which gives you the three-day forecast. So you can kind of watch that and plan for the best night to go out there and, and wait under the skies. Uh, and then patience. <laughs> the aurora is not a guarantee. Uh, it's a lot like fishing. Some days you have a great day and it's just you throw the line in and you catch. Other days you're there all day and you never have a bite. So uh, that's how the aurora works too. It's a natural phenomenon. There is no guarantees. Even if the forecast is good, it can still uh, be a dud. So be patient, plan at least a couple of nights if you're traveling to do that. 
if you just happen to live in one of those spots, you can kind of be a little more selective and wait for those good clear nights with good forecasts. Um, as far as camera tips, uh, let me just cover the basics. A tripod is a must. A wide, fast lens, meaning a big open aperture that allows a lot of light to come in, uh, is a must. And then higher ISOs than you would typically use. Uh, use a self-timer so that you're not touching the camera when the exposure starts. Uh, and then get your white balance dialed in correctly. If you use auto white balance, a lot of times the lights look really funky. Um, go into a lot more depth on all that kind of stuff if you want to do one of those workshops. But those are kind of some good basic starting tips. Great. Now, when I see the pictures of the Aurora, I see those greens and purples, and it's really this out of this world photo happening. And does it look like that in person? That's a great question. And one that I try to address uh, before we ever step out of the van on our tours, because unfortunately, no, it does not. Um, and that's not because photographers are manipulating their images and lying to you and making a bunch of Photoshop, although some do. Um, but if you see our photos, they're pretty darn close to what we actually captured in the back of the camera. Now, what I see with my eyes at that moment is not the same as what my camera captures. And that's because in the dark, my eyes don't see color. If you ever want to play with this, go out in the dark and somewhere where there's a tiny little bit of light so you can actually see the ground and things around, but not enough that it's like normal daylight, right? Uh, and look around and everything will be in black and white. Um, that's because we have two receptors in our eyes. We have rods and cones. Um, rods are what we use to see in the dark with. They're really good at seeing in low light, but they don't see color at all. Uh, so when you're looking at the Aurora, even though it, it can be fairly bright, most of the time uh, it looks black and white to us because we're seeing it with those rods rather than our cones. There are times where we get that crazy purple dancing across the bottom, and that gets so bright that you can actually see that color very well with your naked eye. Um, but more typically, the greens and, and the reds that you see in the photos uh, are not visible to the human eye as far as the color. You can still see the light. It's still beautiful. It's amazing to watch, but it's not quite as colorful to your naked eye. Now, if you put on night vision goggles or something of that nature, could that accentuate the color? It doesn't, uh, it doesn't accentuate the color. Um, and it's funny because I think since I saw you last, I have more experience with that. We had a gentleman show up uh, last spring before COVID hit with some night vision goggles and he let me play with them for a little while. Uh, everything's kind of a weird, if you've ever seen the, the video of, you know, like the military scenes where they're using night vision goggles and everything's kind of green. Yeah. That's what it looked like. So you're not going to get that color, but I could see Aurora that I could not see with my eye. And so it was a lot more similar to what the camera was seeing as far as the light intensity and things like that. It was, it was pretty neat. Ah, it's really interesting. And is there a sound it makes? <laughs> well, yes and no. Um, that's been debated by scientists for a very long time. Let me, let me delve back just a little bit without getting too far into the weeds. But uh, <laughs> imagine that you're sitting on a set of railroad tracks, right? And I'm a half a mile away from you. And I've got a sledgehammer and I'm hitting the tracks. Uh, the time that you would see me uh, hit that track and then the delay between the time you actually heard that sound would be fairly significant at a half a mile, right? Uh, 
-hmm. The aurora at its closest point is 50 miles above us. So imagine that sound delay amplified by, you know, a hundred times in this case. Um, most of the time people experience hearing the aurora. Uh, they're describing it in real time as the aurora is dancing above them. And scientists for a long time have tried to capture audio of the aurora. They have not been able to do that. And so the theory for a long time was that we do know there's an electromagnetic current going on that's producing those auroras. And so we thought maybe for some people that's actually triggering a response in our brains, which are sensitive to that type of energy. And so maybe some people were more sensitive to that than others. And they were kind of hearing it, but not really. So I used to tell people it's all in your head, right? Um, the truth is, since then, Finland, uh, just a few years ago, has done a study where what they determined was uh, in Arctic climates at about 12 to 1500 feet up, there tends to be a really strong inversion layer. And that inversion layer is actually uh, kind of receptive to the electromagnetic energy. And so that energy is kind of creating a static electricity in the inversion layer. And so if you happen to be just underneath that, it makes a sound. And they did capture audio of that. Um, still more science to be uh, done on that uh, and it needs to be peer reviewed and that kind of stuff. But that's the current theory is that it's, you have to be right under that inversion layer. Okay, this is so fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what draws you to take pictures? I mean, maybe this is uh, a redundant question, but I mean, what really draws you to the aurora? So it's, it's kind of a multifaceted thing for me. Um, initially, when I started doing this, it, I was a night owl anyway. And so my schedule kind of coordinated. And I like to be out in nature alone. And so I used to just go out. And it was a great excuse to spend time out there, you know, by myself. And sometimes take really cool pictures that people really liked and responded to. Um, over the years, I've gotten a little bit spoiled, you know, when you do it every night, every winter for over a decade, uh, you do get a little picky about which nights you actually bring out the camera. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, but now I think what keeps me going is the enjoyment of watching others have that same experience for the first time of, of their own. Um, I enjoy sharing that and kind of sharing the knowledge and teaching folks a lot of stuff that took me, you know, a decade to learn. Um, everybody's curious. They want to know the same questions you have. And so that's the part that I enjoy now. Um, but I'll be honest before it was fun because it was a unique subject and not a lot of people were photographing it. And so you could put a picture on Facebook, for example, and get a hundred likes, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> it was, that was kind of part of the thrill of it. And then just being out in nature and, and then just experiencing it. Uh, it it's no photo can do justice to what it feels like to be under that sky as it's just dancing above you on a really good night. Well said. Well said. I want to make sure that our listeners know how to find you. Again, we're going to repeat your website, theaurorachasers.com, um, which is you and your wife, Marquetta. And people can also find you on Facebook um, if you look for the Aurora Chasers. Yep, exactly. Uh, this is great. Is there anything else you'd like to add for our listeners? Um, stay safe. <laughs> we look forward to seeing you all again when travel isn't thing. Uh, and in the meantime, yeah, like we, like we discussed, if you guys want to 
uh, follow along for the live workshops or you want to get a workshop of your own uh, or a private workshop, get in touch. We'll, we'll be happy to make something happen for you. Fantastic. And we will include all this information and more on experiences that you should have.com. Um, we'll have well-written show notes as well as maybe some FAQs. If you want to take a tour with the Aurora Chasers one day, one day, one day. <laughs> hopefully soon. <laughs> right. I hope so. Fingers crossed. Well, thank you again, Ron, for, for joining for our take two recording of the Aurora Borealis. In Thanks, Gail. It's been We're a pleasure. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to Experiences You Should Have. And again, remember to, to go check out the Aurora Chasers um, on the AuroraChasers.com. You can learn more about their business there. We will have a full show notes written up on ExperiencesYouShouldHave.com. We're really trying to support these businesses that have um, really struggled with this pandemic. And I think this podcast is, is a great way to highlight um, the struggles and how businesses are pivoting in this time. Um, so if your business has been affected uh, by COVID-19 and you're in the travel industry and you're pivoting towards a new way of virtual travel or workshops, uh, we'd love to hear from you. You can just contact us um, at experiencesyoushouldhave.com. Just click on the contact form there. And please reach out. I hope everybody out there is staying safe and dreaming up the next new adventure for when adventuring is uh, going to happen one day. I know. It's a weird time, huh? But until our next adventure, stay tuned. <laughs>